What's going on, everybody? It is Thursday, September 15th, and you have found the Pinwheels and Ivy podcast. I am your host, Matt Swaski, a.k.a. Father Zo, a.k.a. Goonies Never Say Die. With me, as always, Mr. Aldo Soto. Zo, I know you've been saying that the big uh, free agency move is going to be DeGrom to the Braves, but after this week, it might be DeGrom to the Cubs. Man, the Cub- we're definitely going to talk about that later, but there is just big name after big name getting linked to the Cubs, one of which... We definitely called on this show weeks ago. Uh, and the good Reverend K. Fitz, whose hat says, make red hats wearable again, you morons, before you start going nuts in the comments. Probably reading was a skill, but I, this is my open letter to Ken Rez- Rosenthal. Oh, we'll get there. Stay out of White Sox business. <laughs> I got to say it. Sorry. Yep. It's still not as funny when anyone says it. Uh, <laughs> and Absolutely, terribly cliche. A little bit of a teaser here. Before oh, I enter, stay tuned to the show as we find the origin story of this photo that was submitted. Yes, folks, that is NASCAR Mitch. It was a leak. I like the White Sox. People are leaking things. I did not send it in that photo <laughs> of me <laughs> hammered at a casino with a three-time Daytona 500 win. Yep. <laughs> I'm like Littlefinger, man. I got birdies everywhere, bro. <laughs> I got birdies everywhere, bro. And, yep, I got sense of you probably in real time. So we're obviously going to talk about um, the White Sox and what's going on in this. I don't even know how to describe it right now. I'm I'm actually at a loss for words because like. I mean, you mentioned Littlefinger. Maybe I have some some uh, some backstep, some good old fashioned Game of Thrones action. The White Sox clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could true. be. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about all these big names linked to the Cubs in the offseason. And then, of course, we are going to address the Ken Rosenta piece done (laughs) in the Atlantic. Um, The open letter letter behind a paywall. (laughs) Yep. That's that's a good place to start because that's horrible. But, um, yeah, all that and a lot of general tomfoolery. Let's tap this guy. Free build of the favorites. We here for the latest. South side or the north side. Not tuned to the greatest. Home team for the home teams. Both sides got our own rings. On the mound or the long ball. But we don't put the wrong strings. Yeah. <laughs> it's that time of the year now. Wrigley or Gantees or the whole league that we hear now. New show with a new mood. Discussions and interviews. Trade rumors that might be. This is Pinwheels and Knife. Yeah. This is what you waiting for. Yeah. Can put it on a boy, yeah. Every season they get all changed. Take me out to the bar game. This is what you're waiting for, yeah. You can put it on a boy, yeah. Every season they get all changed. Take me out to the bar game. This is what you're waiting for, yeah. You can put it on a boy, yeah. Every season. As always, this show is brought to you by SportsMikery, SportsMikery.com. Make sure you download the app, turn on push notifications, so anytime Mitch runs into a NASCAR winner in a casino, we'll push out the picture for you. Uh, SportsMikery, SportsMikery.com. Hey, the Bears are good. Um, So, I mean, as I said before we went on the show, just to get started here, the White Sox elimination number, as we broadcast this on Wednesday night, is 17. There's about 20 games left. 
19, I think now. 19, yeah. yeah. Are they out of it, out of it? No. It's not over. It's definitely not over. And like I said, Goonies never say die. It's not over, over. But folks, it's not looking good. Some of the main reasons. So the White Sox go into Oakland. Four-game series. Should have easily probably taken all four of those bad boys. Uh, they get three out of four in Oakland. Could have been a split. Could have been a split, but they take three out of four in Oakland. Uh, they handle their shit in Seattle. Go to Oakland, three out of four. And then they come home and they play the lowly Rockies. And they wasn't a very convincing win, I'd say, on Tuesday. They squeak one out, win four to two. Very boring game, actually, besides Eloy's bomb. And then it rolls into Wednesday, which gets rescheduled into uh, a day game because they have to go to Cleveland to make up a game tomorrow or on Thursday at 12 at noon. They got Cease pitching. Cy Young favorite, Dylan Cease. The Rockies are pitching some lefty named Kyle Freeland that can't say I'm familiar with. You would think the White Sox win that game. They did not. They lost three nothing. Three to nothing. Three to nothing. Against a bum ass left hander. Same old Sox. Yep. That was a that was a vintage White Sox game. C still got over seven and a half strikeouts. It's a very specific number for those of you that know. Uh, and so you got to win that game. And the biggest reason why I'm emphasizing the loss on Sunday and the loss on Wednesday is there's a big kink in the White Sox plans to win the AL Central. And that is that the fucking Cleveland Guardians won't lose a goddamn game. They just won't lose. Are you sweating then? Yes. I thought they peaked, but obviously I misjudged the weakness of their schedule late, which has been pretty fucking much cake. I mean, I mean who cares if they keep winning if we can't mm-hmm. beat the Rockies with Dylan Cease on the mound and well, runners on base almost every inning. I mean, it's kind of a mute point. You got to take care of business on our end, too. That's the thing. It's like every for that Wednesday game, they had plenty of chances. But like you said, Mitch, almost that, every that was a very game. winnable game. Even yeah, just very winnable. not having could his not best. get a hit. Yeah. Just. It, Runners in scoring position. It's the same it's stuff not... that we were seeing back in like all summer. Seb was a couple inches away from an extra base hit, and the guy made a nice play too. But even oh, yeah. that, I mean, it's game inches, bud. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the Guardians lost five in a row, and then they went to Kansas City and won two out of three, and then they just ripped off six wins in a row. I mean, maybe. They play the Sox on Thursday. Maybe the White Sox go in there. They switched up the rotation, so Lance Lynn's pitching. Uh, maybe Big Papa goes in there, just shuts it down. I think too, because there's a lot of people like um, arguing on Twitter, like, "Hey, they should push Cease back a day to pitch in Cleveland since that's the more important game." I actually, I think it makes sense because you keep Cease on the regular, right and you know you have a winnable game there. And Lance Lynn, veteran, you know he knows what he's doing. I think the right guys and. Uh, pitching yeah. even there. I, I mean, I had no problem with that move. I mean, hindsight's always going to be twenty twenty. You know what I mean? Now that they lost the Cease game because he got no run support whatsoever, you can easily say maybe that should have been the other way around. But even Lance Lynn, guy. Lance Lynn has arguably been the hottest pitcher in the rotation lately. Yeah. yeah, and he's got more experience than Cease does in these big games. Right. Exactly. And even though they lost today, like 
on paper, that's like an easy win. And you need to stack as many wins as you can. So I was Absolutely. like, you know what? I'll take Cease against the fourth place team. Let's take the easy W and then ride with the big guy in Cleveland. So I thought it made sense. I mean, it didn't pan out, but I don't I don't know what everyone was up in arms about. And I mean, for argument's sake too, Cleveland on Thursday is rolling out some dude that looks like a creative player named Hunter Gaddis. Yeah, I think he's, it's, he's like a rookie, and then yeah, I think they have a double header this weekend. Right, he's so they have one like with an a, extra pitcher. He's coming in with a a real smooth twenty one point six zero ERA. <laughs> so that means he'll go eight Cleveland wins. In, he'll go eight one. shutout innings versus the White Sox. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, shout out to Cleveland. You can't even like knock him. The mm-hmm. Cleveland's doing what the White Sox needed to be doing, which is beating bad teams. Like Cleveland does. I mean, I guess we can get into it a little bit. We're talking about the Rosenthal piece and how whatever the discussion is, whose philosophy the team is listening to or whatever the case that is. But Cleveland just does what they do. They, they just do it really good. They don't hit for power, but they just hit the ball all the time. They take every extra base they can get. They go first to third on every single, and they have good quality pitching up and down. You know their pitching staff. The White Sox, yep. you know, a team that's built to hit home runs, doesn't hit home runs, and we're seeing them in the position that they are. I wanted to bring up this stat. Uh, it was brought up in the uh, CHGO post game show against these like five pretty bad teams: the Kansas mm-hmm. City Royals, the Angels, the Rangers, the Diamondbacks, and the Rockies. The White Sox against those five teams are seventeen and twenty three. Six games under against five very bad teams. Just terrible. Think I about mean, if they just were 500 against those teams. They'd be like, what, they'd be, be like first. right in first place. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, didn't Steve Stone say that at the beginning of the year too? And the, the, the way to a winning season is to split with the good teams and dominate the bad teams. And that was the blueprint all along. And, and unfortunately, the White Sox haven't actually followed their blueprint for success. That's how you win. I mean, and They've actually played solid against bad, uh, the good teams. They, they, yeah. they, it's the letdowns, and that just that could be the mental toughness of this team in a nutshell for the 2022 season. Whoever the hell the manager is, teams that can't get up for the for the for the lowly games and that that underachieve or play to the level of their their competition, those aren't winners. Those aren't champions. They're they're also rants, and that might unfortunately could if this keeps up, that is the case with this White Sox team. They're an also ran if they can't figure this out. If you have to be, if you need it, you know, just like with a coach, if you need a, a coach to be out there dancing and shooting fireworks off and putting, you know, putting the bat between their butt cheeks and doing a strip dance just to get you guys going, you're not a very good athlete. You're actually a shit athlete with bad mental approach because it takes fireworks to wake you up in a game that you shouldn't need fireworks to wake you up because pride should be enough at that point and the desire to win. And, you know, <clears throat> this is hasn't really felt that way. I mean, it, uh, we've been talking about it all year too, waiting for like a light switch to turn on. And I still don't see the light switch even now. I mean, it's back to losing to bad teams again. Every time you think you get a light switch, it's always, oh, well, there's three more steps back. Lose the finale in Oakland and kind of very unconvincing. It was like, oh, we took our three games, you know, let's just lie down for the Sunday one. And then today it didn't, yeah, no one, it was ugly. Yeah, it's, it's just like what you said, which is weird too. Because last year they beat up on a lot of these really bad teams, and that was kind of their. That's kind of how they won ninety three games. So almost the complete opposite. They couldn't beat a good team. They couldn't win on the road, but they beat up against really bad teams and they won at home. And this year it's the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. Can't win at mm-hmm. home. Can't be 
the teams are supposed to be. And they won a division last year. Yep. Doing 93 games. They won 93 games last year. With so, most of these same guys. I mean, the the highlights for the White Sox right now is just how much Aloy Jimenez is absolutely just beasting baseballs right now. Yeah. I mean, Aloy, is, if you need, you know, positive things to dwell on, just start at Aloy. Uh, Aloy, you got Elvis Andrews. What a great pickup he's been at leadoff. Uh, and then the news comes out that Tim Anderson could return to the team as early as next week. Uh, Miguel Cairo already said shortstop's Tim's position. Which so, it should be. Which it was should there, be. I, I think I saw Mitch. Yeah, I was going to say, I think I saw Mitch tweeting about like calling out whoever it was, was even questioning that. Who the hell was questioning? There's what a lot of people out there like, oh, be surprised Andrew that. should Whoa, be, you know, it's man. ridiculous the amount of people that are like, oh, the way Andrews is playing, uh, you, you know, they should move. Or the other one I hate. It's like the first one is always like, well, he Andrew should stay there. And then they're like, oh, yeah, if someone should move, it should be Tim. It's like, well, that makes no sense. <laughs> Because first off, like defending-wise, Andres is the better defender. He's been in the league longer. It's going to be an easier transition for him to learn how to play a new position than it is for Tim Anderson. So that makes no sense to me whatsoever. And two, even if there was only one spot open between the two of them, everything that Tim Anderson's done for you guys in the past like three years, you're going to forget about it because of two weeks for some journeyman shortstop to get hot. Like, give me a break. And Elvis has been great. I love Elvis. But like Tim Anderson's earned that spot. Like how quickly we forget that he's made this team relevant the past three years. But can I also throw this into there? Wouldn't it be bad managing to just simply ignore the hot hand and just simply go back to the basics when the hot hand is what's winning games? Isn't that something? And now I'm, I'm not saying to, Elvis Andrews just needs to be in the lineup is what I'm saying. No matter where the hell he's the kind of guy that can handle a shift anywhere else, but you'd be insane to go. Ah, that, thanks for the, thanks for the, thanks for the free fish, Elvis. We're done with you now though. Back to, we're going he's got to be in the lineup. He can move to second, like you said. You're, you're right. He's a veteran. Do you think Elvis Andrews, after playing on, playing for the Rangers organization and then playing for the Oakland Athletics organization, and now is in the hunt for a playoff spot, gives two shits where he plays? If you told him to go play, if you told him to go play left field, he'd be like, "Thanks, coach. Let's win a, let's win a fucking ball game." He just wants to win. He's yep. here for the. He's not here to enjoy the ride. He's here to help take this train into the station, and that's what you know. That's what vets do. That's why he's such a valuable pickup, and he has been since he was. You know, they, they got him off the scrap heap. So Elvis Andrews, every step of the way since he's gotten into Chicago, all he's said in every interview is, I'm here to do one thing, and that is win. Elvis is a better defender. He can, in my opinion, make the move to second a lot more seamlessly. Tim was the starter for the fucking All-Star game at shortstop. You put him back at shortstop. But the way that I see this playing out, you keep Elvis leading off. I know that's Tim's spot, but he's not going to be able to do the rehab stint like we want him to do to get back into this. So you keep Elvis in the leadoff spot, and then you give Tim what they're doing with Luis Robert, and you throw him in that bottom third of the lineup until he shows that he's all the way back. Maybe bat him ninth. Do the whole Try to sell him on the whole fucking double leadoff bullshit that they tried earlier this year. I mean, yeah. You can't, I don't think you can go, especially at this point of the season, you can't just have Tim come in cold and be like, lead off spots back to you. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Let him ease into it. Let him ease into it like like Big Ben in a a bathroom stall. You know, (laughs) you need to have that 
adjustment period for him and throwing him in that, you know, again, bad coaching would be saying Tim right here in the lead right back as if, if it's midsummer and he's been playing every day, that's bad. That's, that would be bad coaching. That's bad lineup, you know, manipulation and usage, whatever. Tim needs an opportunity to get his feet wet and kind of ease back in. You know, he's not taking a cannonball into a cold pool. He's not right. that kind of guy. He's or, that's the thing. Especially coming off of finger surgery with his middle finger on like the lead hand for batting. Like that's going to take a while, especially if there's no, not a ton of rehab and the minor league season's winding down, just swinging the bat. So we don't even know how good he is going to be there. So I, that I do agree with. You cannot put him back at the top of the lineup, especially with the way Andres is hitting. Even today, I mean, Sox couldn't get anything going. He had two hits and he was robbed of a third one on his first at bat. So he's, mm-hmm. it makes no sense to move him from the leadoff spot. And yeah, everything you guys said, I, I completely agree. Ralph, whatever you're drinking, Bross, pass some this way. Ralph said Tim should play second base to prepare for next season when the Sox sign a top tier free shortstop free agent. He did finish it saying LOL JK, but yeah, that's just never. I have a question happened. too. Wasn't wasn't Pollock in the leadoff spot against lefties hammering too? Uh he's been hammering lefties. Um I feel like, like there was something about him before maybe it was before Elvis where they were like, he had like it, it was like it was like two games, dude. It wasn't oh, yeah, worth him staying there. And he's definitely regressed towards the mean, which is a shitty ass mean this season. Uh, <laughs> like, him, yeah. Man. He he he's been he's been a big spurts guy this year. Like you get him in spurts. And he's you know, he's the why he's that guy that the, the Dodgers soured on last year, like in the first month to the season when they started kicking the tires on KB. They were ready, they were ready to give him the kaboot last year early yeah. for probably for the same reason. That obviously now you're as Sox fans you're seeing that it's just too almost unpredictable. Yeah, it's way too streaky. I mean, that's just what it is at this point. So, I mean, you got to put all that shit aside though, and you got to just look at it. In my opinion, in the lens of you're getting an all-star short player back in your lineup, you know, and you just kind of have to hope that. And you know what, Tim does, and he's proven it before in the limited playoff experience he has, but. Tim has that dog in him, man. Tim loves that national spotlight. He loves it when it's all eyes on the White Sox. He always, he is definitely a primetime player. You know, like anytime the Whites in the playoffs or if they have like the game of the week or in the fucking Field of Dreams game when it was, everybody was watching, Tim shows up. And so we can very easily see that Tim come back when he comes back from injury. But if, when the White Sox give me my weekly call, when they ask me what they should do, my opinion is they should definitely keep Elvis in the leadoff spot. But Elvis, this is more a credit to him too, where I feel like he is that mature and he is that much of a leader and he is that kind of player where he'll be like, yeah, I got second. Like, let's go. Like, I'm, I'm let's ride. You got to imagine, especially with Cairo uh, coming out and saying, like, when Tim comes back, it's his. You got to imagine Elvis is taking reps at second right now. You know what I he, mean? Like mm-hmm. he's probably he is. That's, we don't see that. He even had a quote a couple weeks back when he was asked about this, and he's like, "Yeah, I mean, with all the shifting too, I've played on the right side a bunch this year, so I don't think it's going to be a problem with the transition." Which, and I agree with you. Like he worked. You there was reports he was working with uh, Romy Gonzalez on turning double plays like before every game. So I think exactly what you said. He's smart enough to know, hey, when Tim's coming back, I better start learning how to play second base so I can stay in the lineup. So yes. I think he's on top of it. And then the last thing I'll say on that though, too, is Elvis's agent spoke when he was like very first released from Oakland. And someone asked like, what is he looking for in a team? And number one, obviously said he wants to go somewhere where he has a chance of winning. Mm-hmm. 
But the second thing was he said that he's only going to go somewhere where he's going to be an everyday player. So I got to imagine part of the way that the White Sox courted Elvis was you're the shortstop till Tim comes back and then you'll start at second base, but you'll still play every game for the rest of the season. Yep. <clears throat> that would just be a professional thing to do in, in making any kind of transaction. Which the White Sox have not earned that benefit of the doubt, though. And Elvis is probably like, uh, does that mean I don't have to stay in Oakland? And yeah. okay, sure, you can shove a hot coal poker up my ass. I don't care. Let's get out. Like he's he had to have taken. I mean, that that would have been insane for them to not give that. But he knows the score. He's a vet. Like this is all under the assumption that Elvis doesn't already know the score. And let's be honest, Elvis has known the score since the moment he signed and he moved right. over to Chicago to the South Side. Like yep. he's not going to be a problem. Like that's it's almost like just fodder for conversation in the sense that yeah, the only conversation I, piece is really where do you put Tim in the lineup as he returns is really the question. I, personally, I'm I'm kind of talking myself more and more into batting him ninth. So I was kind of rolling my eyes when you first brought up uh, yeah, keeping Andrews at, uh, at the leadoff spot with, uh, with TA coming back. But then I kind of forgot how much Tim Anderson sucked. Uh, in before July and got, August. Yes, before he got hurt. And then <laughs> he was fucking awful. And Andrew is fucking balling up there. You know, like he, you know, he's a very good leadoff man right now. Like, broke, don't fix it. It's really like, yeah, he's doing everything you can want. He's stealing bases for him. He's hitting for average. He's providing a little bit of pop. Like, I don't know what more you could want out of a leadoff hitter with everything he's he's been doing the past couple weeks. Yep. Well, can we yep. say enough? We say enough about Miguel Cairo's leadership, but we need to talk about Elvis Andrews's leadership in that clubhouse and Definitely what his, his appearance has done to this White Sox team. That there's a correlation between success and Elvis Andrews setting foot in that locker room. I am sure of it. It's not hurting, that's for sure. I'm trying Somebody's to look right now. <laughs> well, especially when you have like Miguel Cairo's giving his speech, like whoever doesn't want to be here can get out. And Andres clearly does want to be there because, like you said, he's been wallowing in Oakland for the past two years. So he's like, I just want to play for a winner. So you see a veteran guy going out there every day and busting his ass. And it's a lot easier for that message to sink in, especially when you're Miguel Cairo, when you got someone that walks in as a veteran that people I'm assuming respect going out there and doing just that. So I think, you know, it, uh, it spreads. It's kind of like a virus. Yep. And Elvis Andrews is like me here in Vegas. You can't get any Chicago style pizza here. You can't get a good tavern style here. So Rosati's is actually delicious here. And I'm happy to have Rosati's, even though it's not that great. Yep. That's Elvis and, Andrews returning to the South side, getting to the South side. And then the not other good. thing that people have brought up in the comments, and it's been a talking point, you know, Luis Robert returned back to the lineup. He needs to eliminate those at-bats where he looks like he wants to be anywhere else besides the plate. He's just trying to hide his pain. Well, that's the thing, though. In Tuesday and Wednesday's game, he's hitting the shit out of the ball. He's just hitting it at people. I think I his, first, his first two at-bats on Tuesday was like 106 exit velo and then 100 exit velo. And then his base hit today was like close to 100. It was what? Uh, hold on. I just had it because uh, we're all about facts here. It was 97 miles per hour. Like he's he's hitting the good contact again, but some of the swings he has, especially on the breaking balls, he looks so disinterested. Yeah. Even when he made like today, I, I was at the game today and like it was dirt cheap tickets. So we have pretty pretty good seats. The one ball he hit down the line that he made contact on, you could tell like he had a grimace on his hand, like after he made contact, and he was like looking at it at first base a couple of times. And so it's it's pretty evident that even even though when even when he's hitting it, like he's not 100. Yeah. percent And point. I so I didn't see that, but I'm glad you brought that up because then it 
I know you're in a very critical final 20 games or whatever, but at what part point do you just realize like he's not helping right now? Like we just need to shut this down. Especially when you invested all that money and time yeah, so, in the future. It's so tough. Right. <laughs> right. But it, it, it's not an easy call. Like it's but not it's, like it's a, it's a, uh, like, at this point it's all hands on deck. Like it doesn't, at this point it's, it's shit off, shit or get off the pot. So right. feelings need to go out the window. Feelings, fuck your feelings at this point. You got two weeks left to play two, two and a half, three weeks. So your feelings, if you, at this point you haven't earned like the clear without a doubt spot or opportunities and someone else has you, buddy, you missed the boat. I will, I will say this for Robert. I appreciate the fact that he's out there trying to play despite being an mm-hmm. obvious pain instead of, especially like the playoffs on the line, instead of like uh, Eloy Jimenez where, oh, I swing, something didn't feel right, but I'm right back in the lineup the next day after taking himself out of the day, like stuff like that. Like that, that's tough to, to see. Well, Robert, at least, you know, he's trying to gut it out. So I, I can appreciate that. But the, the tough just, part with Robert is like the, the backup, the backup is like Adam Angle and AJ right, Pollock. It's not. Is, it's not good. Is no one? The, no one has earned that. No one has earned that over Robert. Well, that's the question too. Is is the replacement at a hundred percent better than Luis Robert at sixty percent? Mm-hmm. Right. Which one gives you the better chance to win? And that actually, because he's so fucking good when he's healthy, yep. it's actually a question. And I mean, those other guys haven't been great, so that helps. You know muddy the water i guess i mean as i said it since the very the very beginning of the injury the white Sox just fucked up from the very very beginning they should have never yep, trotted him back out there when he wasn't ready well i mean it was so weird too like he could barely like he looked like he had like like he had a uh, like captain hook like he had a hook hand trying to hold the bat sometimes it was he weird was swinging the fucking bat <laughs> with one hand mvp <laughs> in front of everyone it's like in second grade when they're teaching you like how to hit off the tee in like gym class, and there's like the one person that just like swings like with the one arm. Like that was him taking hacks. No, these are these are drills to actually like get top hand or bottom hand strength. Either these are like, ow, that hurts, so I'm just not yeah. going to use it. <laughs> I will. I will admit there was a part of me that was watching that, being like, how dope would it be if he goes deep right now, one handed? <laughs> like <laughs> first time I've done that. I know, but he would just be a fucking legend if he. Well, did Zell, that, you know but... who did go deep? Recently, Oscar Colas. There's the guy who's earned it. Ooh. He's put that over. Come on, his Mitch. Board. Holy Come fuck. on, Mitch. Mickey Mouse ballpark. They all hit it over the scoreboard. It was like, yeah, like a 290 port. No fans there. The scoreboard was right where the fence was. At Williamsport, where they put Williamsport, Pennsylvania, where they hold the Little League World Series. Great bomb, Cole. That's the yard. Yeah. I mean, he's swinging a hot bat. Like, I'll, I'll give you that. I just don't think even, he could be batting like 300. I still don't think you call him up from double A at this point in the season. It just makes no sense. To me. Is he on the 40 man roster? Because if he is, no, oh, I, don't I, don't think, think so. I don't believe he is. I don't think so. But okay, all right. All that right. became a big when he put that ball over the scoreboard. I was very actually surprised to see. How many people, like some people are like, he should be up now. He should be up opening day next year. And like the pushback and then like the just piss and vinegar that came from, I was just like, dude, just hit it over the scoreboard. It was pretty dope. He'll probably be up next year at some point. I'd like to see him get some more at-bats in America before he comes up to the big leagues. But like, I don't know. But we've always said, where do you face the toughest pitcher? In double A. I I said that. But I mean, like. And he is 24. He is 24, and I mean, the clock is running out, but I guess that does come full circle, though, and what we were saying about Robert. I mean, I know they got other guys in the outfield that they can bring up, 
but it's just uh, shit, man. It's getting. By the way, what's going to be the move when TA comes back? Like who's uh, Romy? Yeah, who gets the? Um, I'm sure there's a. Yeah. I'm sure there's a bullpen guy. I can't think of that'll get sacrificed. Oh, that's probably true. Yeah. yeah. Who's the red shirt on Star Trek that's about to die? Yeah. I mean, you, I don't think Romy okay. has done nothing Tanner, to warrant Tanner him going down. Yeah, like Tanner Banks. <laughs> yeah, I don't just see. Yeah, that's it's going to be one of those. But I mean, I feel like I don't want to beat a dead horse and just. But I mean, it's just basically it comes down to the White Sox need to win. I, mean, win I, I would argue tomorrow is as much of like that's that's going to decide the season. They like they lose that game. They lose that game and they go down four to the guardians with only three games remaining against them, especially the way the guardians are playing. Like, I don't think they could come back from that. I think today they had a shot. I don't know. I mean, and I would, it's going to be tough. So is it a must win or a can't lose? Both. Um, (laughs) I would agree, Mitch. I, I will say that I have the feeling right now, like I did when they were in the playoffs. Like the night before, like yeah, they, they have to win tomorrow. Like a couple reasons, like you said, if they lose, Cleveland is now on a seven-game win streak with a pretty cake fucking schedule, and you lose a full game, and it's just you go five back. It's demoralizing in a couple different ways. I mean, it's not over, over obviously, but I think it's a huge huge fucking step back. it's now out of their control like they yeah. have to rely on a lot of outside factors and i i don't believe they have the tiebreaker with them or they, tomorrow might they, decide well that's the thing too is yeah. tomorrow decides the tiebreaker as well yeah. yeah that's that's bad news bears i mean they just need to fucking they need to it would, i mean we're, we're also talking about like it would be great momentum too because then after that it's the tigers right who the Sox have killed this year so like you win cleveland and then you're like all right you're thinking sweep and then you're right back in so, it's crazy how quickly it swung because I saw the Angels were up three to two on the Guardians. I was like, well, okay, we win this game. We can go yep. into Cleveland tomorrow. By the end of Thursday, we'll be a game and a half down with the I'm Tigers with coming up, and we still got three more against the Guardians. And all of a sudden, you lose that game. Angels come or blow it, and it's like, well, crap. Like, we lose tomorrow. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> yeah, did you guys see who blew it, by the way? Yeah, our old friend the... Ryan Tapera. Sox legend. <laughs> Ryan Tapera. And Cubs legend. Yep, Chicago legend. <laughs> Ryan Tapera. Um, but yeah, I mean, the only other White Sox news though, is this article that came out, Ken Rosenthal wrote it for the athletic. It was a open letter behind a paywall, which we were able to figure out, but all those a wizard is what it is. It worked. Oh, it didn't work for me. I mean, I just kind of got the, I wasn't able to get the whole thing, but yeah, the paywall came up. Um, It was porn. And I was like, whoops. But then I'll oh, that's so, the Ken Rosenthal. Going into this, something though, else. It was a Ken Rosenthal. Raw dog is called it. Totally different. I was saying it before we came on, though. I'm pretty sure, and you know, in the comments, please correct me if I'm wrong, which I know you guys all will. But pretty sure Ken Rosenthal has a history of not liking Jerry Reinsdorf. Yep, he's with passion in that. Yeah, he doesn't. I think like, anyone likes Jerry. Reinsdorf. I know, but like not Ken media, is like not media, except yeah, for- not media, and like Ken has pretty been pretty vocal about it. So you kind of got a vibe when you were reading this that yeah. this was him being like Jerry, you fucked up, and Larusa was just kind of taking the side shots for it. Now, 
I also think that Ken had a choice when he wrote it. And I, I guarantee, I almost am like a hundred percent positive. Ken has a draft somewhere where he just goes nuclear on the whole thing, but he didn't print that one. He went with yeah. the, the more. He's classy. Where's like, the most? I mean, yeah. Can I read this? Can I read this in the tone that I hear this? Yeah. Just, just the lead. Tony. Don't do first a voice. Off, Tony. First off, I hope you're feeling well. You haven't managed since August 28th, missing time because you required a procedure to repair the circuitry of your pacemaker. You're watching games from a suite at Guaranteed Rate Field, and White Sox general manager Rick Hahn told reporters Tuesday the team will follow the advice of medical experts as if to as to if and when you will manage again. Returning would mean resuming a stressful job at the most stressful time of season with a heart problem as you turn 78 on October 4th. But even if doctors cleared you to work again, this no longer is simply a medical question. Not if you're thinking of the best interest of the team. Like, that's how I, it comes off as like, and then of course, I because he, he wears that bow tie, I think uh, <laughs> at the end yeah, of it. I said, don't do I was voice, enjoying story time with this. You, you kept going. I knew you were going to go there with it. I knew the Pee Wee voice was coming. <laughs> but I mean, it was very well written, like most of Ken's stuff is. What Jack says it right. It's snarky and well penned. A good writer yeah. can really, really kick you in the nutsack with words. And words hurt. You know, I don't think he's wrong in what he's saying. Like, you know, Tony does need to make a serious internal decision. Like, is this worth potentially dying over? I mean, I don't think that's like so far fetched to say because he is almost 80 with a pacemaker trying to manage a team in a major market in a pennant race. Like it's pretty fucking stressful. I don't want to speak for Tony, but I think if you asked him, he would say, absolutely. I know he, 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 he would be like, he's like the, like a dude in game of Thrones. Like I was born to die on the battlefield. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like he's going to end up getting poisoned and his throat cut by Arya Stark is what's going to happen. Something. But, uh, I've said it and I don't want to rehash all the conversations we've had. You guys could go back and listen to old episodes where we talk about this, but I don't think Tony should come back. And some of it's baseball related. Some of it's just human being related. I mean, sometimes you have to protect people from themselves. Um, I don't think it's a slam dunk that Miguel Cairo is the manager of this team next year either. I've seen that some places, which to me is wild. Um, this team won 92 games last year and then got absolutely fucking donkey punched by the Houston Astros in the playoffs. They had a whole offseason to fix glaring needs that were not fixed. They had a trade deadline to fix glaring needs. They did. They signed my cousin. That was it. And then, so for anyone to sit here and point and say, this is all, this has all been Tony's fault. You're wrong. And then on the flip side, though, for all the, the Tony stands out there, look, I get, He's a Hall of Fame manager. I get people grew up watching him. I get he's some people's hero. I get all that. But you sound kind of dumb when you sit there and you're like, Tony has not, you can't blame Tony for any of this. Like there's a middle here and the middle is okay. Cause in my opinion, the middle is correct. Like it sounds like somebody fucking straight up snitched on Tony to Ken. 
Oh, and it's absolutely a snitch. Yeah, and probably Minichino, by the way. I'm I'm probably I'm eighty percent. It's Minichino, and twenty percent that it's still Dallas. Uh, Dallas Keuchel texting him saying, "Hey, when I was there." But it could be actually. It's probably not a terrible call there, but he did bring up a point in the article that I've said a bunch of times on this show. They built a power hitting team, and all of a sudden they all looked like they were trying to hit for contact. And I, I highly doubt Fids, and I know what you're going to say, so I'm just going to beat you to it. I highly doubt Tony's sitting there telling these guys don't hit home runs. This is the manager of literally the best power hitting teams in baseball history. Hell no. That's called Rosenthal doesn't know shit about what's going on with the White Sox. That's the incorrect thing. We know what Minichino's philosophy is. He's taking it back from when he was with the Marlins. The slap fucking shit is his. And Rosenthal tries to pass it off saying, literally goes with his thing. He says, what does he say? He says, uh, oh, I got I to gotta read. I want to read this properly. Um, where is it? Tony Russo just doesn't have enough steroids to pass around like he used to with Oakland yeah, and St. Louis. That's why. Oh, here, uh, where, where's the, where's the, the, the so Jose Abreu only uh, has like 14 home runs. Andrew Vaughn has like 12. Well, he tries oh, to throw out that, that the White Sox, that he, that, that he's forcing Menachino to do this punch and Judy hit shit. Um, and that, that's like an incorrect, that's just an incorrect. So, inter- that's inter- probably, yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's not true, but there has been a lot of stuff that's come out about. Uh, I, I think they're talking about it uh, this morning on ESPN uh, One Thousand. But like a lot of stuff where Tony, because he's been doing the job so long, will not talk to his assistants very much. He does like to override like a lot of guys because he's like, "Hey, I know what I'm doing." Like, so I mean, yeah, it wouldn't so, surprise me if he's overriding his guys. Here's my whole. Conclusion. Oh wait, it's not even in here anymore. I'm not even seeing it. Well, I, why can I not find it now? Here's the, my whole conclusion on this, though. This bad soap opera that this team has gotten swooped in helps no one. It helps no one. And this team is in still within distance of winning their fucking division. And every pod, every blog, every national writer that writes about the White Sox, they're writing about this shit. They're talking about this shit. Go ahead, Kevin. It just says, he says, your relationship with coaches is another issue. Most staffs today are highly collaborative. Your style is far more autonomous. Some coaches were okay with that. I'm I'm told. That's a good one. Others were not. Your emphasis on hits and contact ran counter to the hitting coach's goals for achieving power through patience. I need to know, honestly, have you ever heard the word power through patience come through the mouth of Menachino or anybody in the White Sox organization Coach-wise, in the last two years, have you heard power through patience as a as a buzzword? Because that's a buzzword that a coach uses when he's handing a baseball and putting it on a tee and working with a hitter. And that's something that these guys would be spouting and repeating over and over again because that is a mantra. That's not just a philosophy. And to say that, that, that's, that tells me this is bullshit. A lot of the stuff is bullshit from Rosenthal because you'd have heard power through patience. No I mean, to be fair, do we hear a lot from Menachino? The only thing you no. really heard from him was that no, quote that was taken out of context. It was in regards to Nick Madrigal not hitting home runs or and or it was like fuck the home runs, and then everyone says that. And I'm not saying he's not to blame. I mean the numbers speak for itself in the Marlins stuff, but we never but hear from Menachino. He's been on Cap Show a bunch of times. He's been on like four or five times. And this is the same thing. We know Cap couldn't, you know, Bears coach, Matt Everfluss, right? We know his mantra immediately. It's the hit system. 
it's shit that he says over and over and over and over and over again. Patience or power through patience is something that a coach says over and over again. And we ain't heard shit. Like, I'm just telling you right now, there's no chance that that is an actual true statement. We know that that's not the case because Tony LaRusse has never been that kind of coach. And, and we've never heard power through patience. I just, I, I, it's a good approach. Don't get me wrong. But that ain't been, that hasn't been something the White Sox have been preaching this year or for two years under Menachino. I've not heard that phrase. I'm just telling you, these guys use these things over and over again, these mantras. And it's, 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 it's beaten to death almost to a point where guys laugh at it. It's like my snowball. I do want to point out, though, real quick, you said that what Rosenthal is saying is bullshit. He's not saying bullshit. Ken Rosenthal is only – he's going off of what people what people are telling him may be bullshit. Right. I just don't want you to no. insinuate that Ken is – I'm not a big fan of Ken Rosenthal in the first place. I think he's full of shit. But I, I, I don't think that – and like I said in, in our DMs, I think that there's a lot of credible stuff that he says in here. I do think that one has to consider – the team playing well when you're out and knowing, Hey, sometimes it's better just to linger to the back and let this shit play out. And it's better to wonder what might've been had I not shown up than to wonder what might've been had I, you know, or, or had I, or had I shown up, excuse me, than had I not shown up. And so I think that he does make really good points there. I just think that the, again, you know how he feels about Tony La Russa, And then you hear him being overly disingenuous with shit. You're a fighter. You always have been. Shut the fuck up, Pee Wee. That's not how this goes, Pipsqueak. And we know how the truth is. And, you know, that's just... It's 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 someone that sees an opening. It's someone that sees this as clickbait. It sees that he's got like kind of a, a great opportunity right now. And he's not wrong saying that Tony shouldn't come back. I'm not disagreeing with that, actually. That's probably... The thesis of his entire thing isn't untrue. But... He, you don't have to fudge some of the evidence to get your point across because it's actually a pretty easy slam dunk case, to be honest. And he's making up shit, and, or he's using leaks. And uh, I said in the in, in, on a tweet today too, or maybe I said it in our DMs, a, a leak is the single most like proof indicator of a sinking ship. And when people are starting to go to these types of people now, it's a national writer. So who has national writers in their pocket? Which guys are talking to those guys? And there's not many in the you know the Sox clubhouse that are like national guys that have like relationships. They're too young, so I don't know. It's just it's weird to me. But he's not wrong with his thesis. Ownership, front office. It could be. It could be. It could, it fuck, I mean, it could be Han. Shit. Really I can't get rid of these people. He calls up Ken. Yeah. <laughs> it's like nobody believes Bob Nightingale anymore. Damn it, uh, Ken. Right, um, yeah. Next we're gonna have to go to Heyman. Shit. Uh, I mean, Tony La Russa, it's, I mean, he was the manager on a very good team last year. Like Zoe said, got their ass kicked by Houston, got exposed. Every single managerial decision that you could pinpoint in the playoffs, you could say the White Sox did bad. Uh, uh, come back, 2022, a lot of expectations. World, one of the World Series favorites. Massively overachieving team. Uh, to this point, I still don't know. I'm not obviously. I'm not in the clubhouse. I don't talk to any of the players. I have no idea. I don't know what Tony Russa does to make the White Sox better, or what he's done to make them better. Um, besides that point, uh, this shouldn't even be weird anymore because it seems like everything associated with the White Sox is weird. Mm-hmm. But I do find it kind of odd that he's kind of just like around the team now, but he's not going to manage. Like what? So what's the point of him just being? Because isn't he like back in Chicago? Yeah. So, so he's just he- kind of like looming over them, be like, hey guys. He needs to go away. Ooh, he's just like a ghoul. He needs to go home. The they, they, they need to make a decision on this. Either he's coming back or he's not. Make that decision now. And that's the thing. Because they haven't, it's going to keep being written about. 
Because yep. it's like, oh, well, Tony Ruiz is like, you know, he's he's with the team. He's traveling with the team, but he's not going to manage. It's like, well, then what is he talking to Kyra before games? Is he not? Is he having any input at all? Dude, is no one listening to him anymore? What what the hell is the point of any of this? So, I, I mean, I don't think even if they win this division, this season is a disappointment. And, end game. Yeah. It's not a disappointment. If they if they don't win, if they win the division and they win the World Series, how can this be a disappointment? Just I a shitty journey. I mean, okay, if they win the World Series, it's not a disappointment. But if they even if they win this division and then they get fucking smoked in the first round of playoffs, which is probably oh, yeah. what's going to happen, this yeah. season is a disappointment. And Dooney's never say die. No. First round, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. The only season uh, is going to be able to pitch in Toronto. I think he got that. I think he got that. They got it squared. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was going to say, imagine if, he, if that's uh, the first round matchup. It, it, but that would actually play into the season so perfectly. That would be yeah, very fair. Dylan sees out. Can't pitch until game three. Yep. And I agree with the big homie Svo in the comments here. Why isn't it showing up? There it is. It's so lame to pinpoint this on one person. This was a failure on so many levels. Han, LaRusa, the players, lackadaisical effort, just a massively underachieving season. Yes. Oh, by the way, the the, the big uh, takeaway from all the underachievement, it's like, number one, it's the players. Because, again, we're talking about the same group, for the most part, that won more than 90 games last year. And then this year, they just, like, played like LaRusa might most of the accidentally year. fart more often without knowing it basically is basically he might shit his pants a little bit more during the regular season than he did last year <laughs> there's really i just don't there's we we talked about it too although we've talked about it on here i think that the episode where where zoe wasn't here even where you got to kind of pinpoint what's the difference between this locker room and last year's locker room what are the new additions and takeaways because last year's locker room had a blast it was a fucking amazing they had the chains it's and missing the, dallas it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> shit we made a big mistake he's the guy no. he, had, he was the, he was the he was the guy that everybody hated so everybody can well, just like i, I think to answer that question wrong to answer that question though, i think the biggest thing was last year they never won a division before they're tied their whole change the game thing it's we have something to prove and then this year it's hey everyone's picking us to be the favorite this division that is, sucks. That is we can just come in here and show up with all this talent and win games and then all of a sudden yeah. it's like well we'll turn it around we'll, we'll turn it around okay. oh shit like now we got to Start. That was uh that we should, heavy that the moment, we should clip that moment, Mitch, because that was a rare where you got everyone nodding their head yes. <laughs> I mean, why have Parkinson's? But I mean, we saw we saw like individual players and like as a team too with the Cubs after they won the World Series. Mm-hmm. I mean, they won the World Series. I mean, we saw that in 2017 where they kind of just like slept walked until July. Yep. Uh, but again, and I think we brought it up uh, like last week because I think it was Liam Hendricks who kind of brought that up. It's like yeah, we were kind of just overly confident and. Really, we didn't earn that. Like, yeah, we won a division, but we didn't win shit after. Yeah, it's like, yeah, like they. It does seem like they just had that attitude, and then they were playing like they were like going for a three-peat. Like, <laughs> yeah, you ain't well, won shit. Hangover after a division yeah. title. Think about this too. Think about this. They came in with the expectations last year. The expectations were, hey, look at this. Hey, look, the White Sox are starting to enter this window. It's pretty exciting, right? Then you get to this year, where again. They had some of the best odds to win the World Series. Um, you've got a whole offseason of people being told at home. Remember, these guys don't – they go home. They go to wherever they live, wherever four corners of the universe these guys live, and then they go home and they bask in the glory of their 
or, or failures, I guess, too, sometimes in their season. And people get in their ear and they have their own entourages. They have their own groups of people around them that, that are telling them how good they are and great. They are. And then you see how the season kind of came in. You see the stuff, you know, like uh, right out of the gate, Tim Anderson has a big giant storm cloud following him where he goes because of sh- off the field shit uh, with with whatever accusations. And, you know, you've got these guys that come in and, and, and have been told that they're going to be, you know, might as well not even play the game if you're in the central the other teams might as well not even play. And I'm totally guilty of it, man. I, I insulted that whole division. Um, but these guys come in and they they come in. So, I mean, Major League wasn't using a cliche in Major League 2 when it was like the soft team that was like too used to like being told they're how good they are. But in the movies, it's a fairy tale. They find, you know, you throw on a leather, you know, a leather vest without sleeves and you, you know, get your hair cut again and throw on some glasses and all of a sudden you're throwing 101 again. That's not how real life works. And so these guys might have come into the season already with that whole off season of being told how great they are. And they believed it a little bit. And, you know, and that's, that's a recipe for disaster. The Cubs were lucky enough to win a world series before it got to that point. Then it got to that point. And that was the only blessing in disguise about how fast it happened is it was a letdown from the world series, as opposed to watching a team not come in there and, and, and being satisfied with just being talked about instead of being satisfied with dogpiling at the end of the season. And that's, that's the rough part with this team. I think that it's followed them into the season. So they're in basically they're in must win fucking mode. And I, again, and I, I can't stress this enough. You see all these people, it's Tony's fault. It's not Tony's fault. Collective. It's not one person that you should yeah. be having this conversation about. Again, after getting absolutely fucking mushroom stamped in the playoffs last year by Houston, they went out and signed AJ Pollock and gave the biggest contract this offseason to fucking Larry Garcia. Oh, God. And then, Larry Garcia, but did you see that stats though? I think you it's absolutely you definitely saw it. Yes. Yeah, well, no, they didn't sign Pollock. Did they, no, they, they traded for it? Didn't they they, they they picked up the option on Kimbrell, then traded him to the Dodgers. The biggest Pollock. contract they gave in the offseason was to Larry fucking Garcia. Oh. And Mr. Han, I don't know if you're watching this or not, but I'm sure you're going to love this next sentence. Rick Hahn needs to be held accountable for a lot of this shit. And, and if you're not in office, and I'll fight you. So they had the whole offseason to address it. The biggest contract they gave was to fucking Lurie Garcia. And then they come up to the trade deadline where the needs were even more glaring. And now you know the season's gone sideways and you need to make these moves to make fixes. And they sign a journeyman lefty from Boston who's incredibly handsome <laughs> and that's it. That's it. I'll give him that. That's it. He, and he's been fine. He's been who you thought you would get. That's not enough. I mean, it's just, I don't know. And I don't want to just keep getting into this loop where we go on. It's a loop. We show up to record on Wednesday night and the first 40 minutes is us defending or going against Tony LaRusso. That yeah. shit's getting old fast. And it is what it is. So I'm let's just kind of fucking... let's, let's, let's do a Brady Bunch poll real quick. Do you think as things have unfolded, as they're right now, let's go across, start with Zoe, Aldo, Net, Mitch, and then I'll, I'll finish. You don't even have to say you can say yes or no. Should Tony Russa, based on all this stuff, even, you know, not being a dick, but should he just linger to the back and step back and let this just play itself out? Do you feel yes or no? Should he come back and jump back in the dugout? Or should he linger to the back and just kind of be a spectator at this point and just give advice so yes or no like back or not go ahead Aldo. you start uh it's back away it's just Mitch. stay out of the way 
Totally, totally. You should back away. I mean, go it's a distraction. Yeah. Go I, home, I, Tony. It's <laughs> go, go home, Tony. I don't say go home, but I say stay to the back. If they need the if they need your help, they'll ask. Go home. Should, no, they, they, go home. He cannot he be lingering in the press box. Yeah, yeah that's, that's all they're gonna that's write weird. about was Tony that's was there weird. that day. He Especially when you have that report that says he doesn't collaborate well with the other coaches. And now you have yeah, yeah. Tony's gone, but he's like watching over us from the press box. Like I would be uncomfortable too, not knowing when I'm getting like how long I have my interim position. Why would he have some guys like Dave Duncan that would stay twenty five years with him if he doesn't collaborate well with his coaches? First off, I just he's getting him a job because he's a he yeah, came exactly. back as a Hall of Fame manager, and I think some of it is like he thinks after all this time off, he just knows better than everyone, and the game's passed him by. And like he has an ego, like there's no denying it. You listen to his press conferences, like we I, do. We do live in a, a new technological age post COVID, so I guess he could be ready to hop on a Zoom if ever needed. Um, and just, fine, just but he can't be in the building, dude. As soon as someone sees I don't, him, when I say linger to the back, I don't mean like like him like. Hey, I'm in the clubhouse. When you guys are done, come on back in. I'll be in a towel. I'm talking about like, hey, I'm here. You need your help. You need some help. Cool. If not, I'm happy to stay back here and and in the shadows. And if you need me, this is where I'm at. That's call me. Here's my Zoom number, Miguel. If you need any guidance, call me. That's how it should be. I'm not saying he should be in like some weird like vampire casket and like, all right, we need his help. Somebody unlock the casket. I mean, it, that's the thing. At this point, I mean, that's pretty much the role that he's going to be in for next year. Or he should be walking waterfalls in Arizona for yeah. his heart. And then if Miguel Cairo needs some guidance, then he will call him up. That is yeah. how it should go the rest like, of the year. I, I feel rather you guys going to the offseason as Sox fans going, well, we stuck with Miguel Cairo. It didn't work out. Oh, well, not shit. We didn't make the playoffs, and it's because we brought Tony LaRusa back. Like, that's the thing, because, like, Tony LaRusa isn't going to happen. I'm at a four now, by the way. I'm at a four. I froze. But <laughs> I'm, what I was saying was I'm pretty sure Cairo talked to Tony in some way about shaking up the rotation. He's, just, he's a mentor figure. Like, he's there. But you don't – look, I, I – I can be a coach and 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 run a system of someone that I respect with a great deal uh, uh, of of my my heart, but I can also do shit my way while implementing your way and using your advice, but also not doing it the way that wasn't really kind of working. And I think that that's what Cairo's doing is that I, I you know, and I, I, it bothers me a little bit to find you know when I read his stuff about how he's way more emotional and demonstrative, and he's having you know where the hell was this for the last year and eight months when your job initially when you got the job and we've talked about it on this show even when he got hired is your job is to be that energy gap between the head you know the manager and the rest of the clubhouse where was all this before i refuse to believe that tony larus was like hey calm it down miguel god Jesus. I, I mean, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's surprising. Yeah, how do you know, Kevin? Maybe he how do you know that. It's like Matt. that's that's literally kind of what Ken Rosenfeld said. He doesn't collaborate. He's kind of like taking taking the reins. If I'm Miguel Cairo, you have this yeah. guy coming in. I'm not. I'm not going to be all rah rah if I, Tony doesn't want me to. Well, this is the problem because guess what? The people that have worked with him end up working with him for decades. So there is collaboration, but maybe you're not good at your job either. And, or you're not doing your job and he's pissed off. Cause like, dude, you were supposed to be doing your damn job. You were supposed to be the one that flipped the burgers. I'm doing the fries. You were doing so, the burger. You, you fucking worked on the fries. Like, he, Oh, here's the thing be, though, man. It could be both. People I don't know. Change, people up. changed. And when Tony was doing that managing that you're speaking of years ago, where people say with him years, he wasn't 78 years old. You, you know what I mean? Like, 
people to, he's not the same guy. He's not he more open-minded than he was. Years ago. Yeah, that's true though. I agree with you. And, and you know and, what I mean? Like people, people get crotchety. Not- I'm salty as fuck these days. I wasn't this way just 10 years ago. Like it's just people get old and they become bigger dickheads. It's just Look at how it goes. He tried mm-hmm. to get out of a DUI by saying, I'm a Hall of Fame baseball person, brother. <laughs> well, I'm not an ego guy. You're going to say whatever the fuck. You're like, I am the queen of England, motherfucker. Like, it doesn't matter. You're going to, but he was drunk at that point. But I don't, his ego is there. We know his ego is there. I just, to me, I'm like, where is this from Miguel Cairo? Because we talked about it when he was hired on this show that his job was to be the energy boost between the manager who's old and the clubhouse that's young. We talked about that. I so think I, he just didn't probably. I'm guessing he probably just didn't want to step on any toes. That's like, sit here, do my job. Like, I don't want to piss off Tony. You know, he's probably, he respects Tony. Tony knows a lot. He's like, I don't want to step on any toes. I don't want to get out of line. I'm sit here in the corner and do my job. I think that's exactly what it is. Here, I'll get personal real quick. Okay. As a guy, as a, as a, as a guy that's been a head coach that ran a program, when I got fired and my head assistant, who it turned out was being a scab and was actually stabbing me behind the back. Um, when he took over, he thought I'm going to Miguel Cairo. No, not Miguel. But close, Mengel. And so when he did, the, wow, that was actually pretty good uh, if you knew the story. But anyway, the point is, like, I'll do it my way. And it worked for like three days because the guys were like, oh, shit, we got to, you know, rally together, you know. And not all the guys were, it didn't, I wasn't like hated in the clubhouse. I was, it had everything to do with parents that were mad because the kids that were on the bench were playing. And this whole shit happens and, and he takes over. And you have these guys that all of a sudden, all of a sudden now, or, or, or guys that in the summer, like they, they get to be the head coach during the summer. All of a sudden they change their personality and they're not doing the same things that they should do in the clubhouse and the dugout when they were in the regular season, when they weren't the big dog, you got to do you. And if it doesn't fit, if Miguel Cairo couldn't be himself after year one, what the hell are you doing sticking around dumbass? That shows you are a bitch. And so I worry about scab stuff, which is he should have been doing this the entire time. And now that Tony's gone, all of a sudden he's, puffing his chest out like that to me tells me that he's not really a strong individual and no, i don't I think, think he's just a good good employee because tony probably didn't want him to not, well, see, also, in baseball some, if, if he's an emotional coach it's not a it's not about employees you, you, the guy's got enough money he's fine he doesn't need a job he i don't wants, know why you're so anti-emotional coach when it's clear like all these other players are saying like yeah we've heard it from a different guy and it's clicking for us and he showed like i think tony was just a skeleton in the dugout with a big ego and he oh. controls his coaching staff by all these reports and he didn't want to step on any toes i don't think he's being a bitch by sitting there and not like yelling do even rah rah speeches when tony's there because tony probably didn't want him to but all of a sudden he's doing it. But here, I'll tell you this too. And it, he's in charge you, now, so we can do it. That's part of his job. You should know this, Mitch. By the way, if you wonder who on the coach and the coaching staff that I'm on is the emotional coach, I mean, Jesus, it's me. Like obviously, so I understand, and I know it doesn't work. And sometimes the yelling and the screaming, if that takes, sometimes it works. Like. But it can't be the whole mantra, man. It can't be the whole thing. I That's think so. an emotional boost on a day when everyone's dragging ass. A great emotional boost and some dude running around, rah, rah, rah. That's what you got to do. That makes sense. But, dude, it you can't do that over the course of a season. That shit doesn't wear. It, you're you're going you're gonna to die as a coach. But I just, again, Cairo could have been himself. If he wasn't allowed to be himself, why do you stay in a job that you're not doesn't allow you to be yourself? First off, that's for anybody in any career, in any job. I, I understand an, that. I have an answer for that, but go ahead. I know, and it's fear of, but he doesn't have fear of the finances. He's fine. He's he's taken care of. He's getting the MLB PAA. He's got a retirement. He's got he's got a pension. So it's not like he's broke. 
the, the fact is, though, if you see a V-line to another leapfrog, success under La Russa is a great thing. So I can understand shutting up as well. But at the same time, look, I would I, if I'm in a program and I've left programs, obviously, for that reason, if I wasn't able to be myself, fuck you, I'm done. I don't, this is, I'm, I, it's play ball, not work ball. I'm not going to stick around and do this. And if Cairo couldn't be himself and was handcuffed this entire time for almost two years, I don't really feel any sympathy for him. And it tells me that he was just waiting for his moment when someone else could turn their back and he's got a shiv and he's going to give someone a shiv in the back. That's, that feels, and I don't think that's the case. That's why I think, no, my, my point is, I don't think it, giving credit to Miguel Cairo for the emotional boost is disingenuous into itself because he's probably been doing the same job the entire time, but we're now hyper-focused on it because we're not hyper-focused on what Tony LaRusso is doing in that corner of the dugout where he's probably spinning a spider web and hanging out oh. in the web. Like, like, I like, think part of the reason that you've seen a difference is because he has a different job. Now he's in charge of all of them instead of being the second fiddle. To tell, like It's a different job. So, of course, he's going to treat it a little differently. And that's what they needed. They needed a kick in the pants. So... But he's been uh, kicking in the pants the whole fucking time. Okay. Like, time where, where, where's your foot? What you What's up, Aldo? Like, How you doing, bud? Hey, I dude. love this back. Remember, remember when I used to be <laughs> I, being Kevin? This, yep. this is fun. This is fun. I know how you felt, though. Yep. You and uh, Nuke. You just kind of sit there like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think Cairo, uh, I think you both made points that play. But I also think that Miguel Cairo probably fell in line because he took a job to be the bench coach for – a 78 year old man. And they told him, if you just shut the fuck up and do what Tony says, when he's gone, you got the gig. Okay. So that's, that makes sense. But that also is kind of shitty too. But what if his job was told, like we talked about on this show, your job is to be the bridge between the youth of our lock, our clubhouse and our older aged manager that has great baseball IQ, but is probably, you know, it's going to take 10 years to get a message out of him. And we you talked about that. Did, being his job. Here's the Hold on, hold on, hold on, Mitch. Hold on, Mitch. Because this is I'm I'm referencing something we talked about at length on this show for like a couple of weeks when Cairo was hired as the bench coach, is that he has a job to do to bridge this. And so the question is, why hasn't he done that? Or has he done that? And now all of a sudden is he just going from what we thought was a hundred percent to uh the real hundred percent. I I just, I, to me, I don't get how, again, I've coached behind people that disappeared for a couple of days and I had a great deal of energy. It was, it's fun. Cause you get to, you get the keys to the car, man. You get to fucking take, you get to drive. You haven't been driving all year and you get to drive. It's fucking awesome. But at the same time, I don't want to drive if for, it's not my car. And I just, I, I don't, I, I guess my question is why isn't, where has this been? I have to keep saying this over and over again. Why is it all of a sudden showing again? I I don't I don't like the excuse. I, I'm sorry. I, I don't actually buy the excuse of well, Tony LaRusso was in charge, so he just had to bite his time. Well, then you're a weak individual because well, we don't know that he wasn't. Yeah, the only that. reason the only reason he came to the surface is because of other players have said so, and it's not yeah. like he's going to be well, like you're not going to see him give a speech from the dugout. And, and I don't. Like, but you Tony's in charge, and some guy going to come out and be like, "Oh yeah, Miguel Cairo was the one that really changed the changed the culture here." Well, Tony's still managing. Like no one's going to come out and say that then either. So that's part of the reason. Well, you don't. Know, I can't. You can't tell me, and I can't tell you, and then no one can tell you who's been writing these lineups, even with Tony away. You think Tony can't sit down at night and write a lineup? With his pacemaker? I don't I, look. There's probably collaboration with the lineup by Miguel Cairo. But do you really know that Miguel Cairo has been writing these lineups? No. And that's the thing is just it's again who's been doing the job this whole time. And I I, I just I I don't I, I'm not I'm trying not that I'm, I'm I'm trying to make the point that 
I think that Cairo has been doing this job the entire time, all the time. And that now without LaRusa in the dugout, fans, media, cameras, everything's starting to focus on what Miguel Cairo does. But if you had isolated a camera on Miguel Cairo over the last two years in that dugout, I bet you he's probably, other than giving the last speech of the night, doing the same things that he's always done. I guess that's my point, is that we're over-exaggerating what he's given or done, because if there's more to this and he hasn't done it, I personally think it's weak dick, because he's been leaving it on the table and not helping the collective. I don't think that's the case, and I think that it has something to do with something else. And I don't think that Cairo is that, and again, I'll double back to Elvis Andrews. I think it has to do with more of the additions and the clubhouse chemistry, who's not there and who is there, and this team is now thriving because there's a fuck the world, rally behind each other, whatever we can latch on to, let's latch on to. And this is what we're going to latch on to is it's us against the world. And that's what they've been doing really well. And I, I just don't think that it's – I think giving credit to Cairo for this is disingenuously uh, – just trying to, it's, 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 it's too simple. I guess, I guess that's the way I, I wasn't trying to take it away from Cairo himself. I'm just saying he's been doing this the whole time. And it well, was, here's the, thing, really noticed it. here's the thing. So Kevin and Mitch are both wrong because the reason that anything's made a difference Shit. is because Elo Jimenez has come back and is oh. fucking torching the ball. Well, that's the difference. Someone in the middle of the lineup who can hit another thing that you said in that <laughs> speech there was, you don't know if Tony's not making this lineup. I can tell you he's not. For a couple reasons. One, because how much Romy's been playing, because Tony doesn't play rookies. Two, how much Lurie hasn't been playing, because Lurie plays every day when Tony's in charge. Right. Um, I don't know. I see the lineup's way different than I do very good. So. Oh, but see, and Kevin, I you know, you know, you know I value your experience as a coach very much, and I respect it and I value it, but I don't think it's apples to apples here. I well, and, I can say this. Had I not have been already writing the lineups when our head coach was gone on t- on occasion, he would have written those lineups. Like he still writes, like, I don't know. I, I, you, and we don't even know who writes the lineups for the White Sox organization, by the way, we don't know if that comes from again, I'm pretty sure it's Tony. I don't think it's coming from the front office. Well, I, I know that we could say this about the Cubs, although the Cubs lineup is usually written by an analytic staff. Like it's not written by David Ross. Like yeah. it's written by, a I mean, Tony's I think it's analytic staff to write the lineups. Yeah. I think it's, it's very similar. I think it's very similar for most uh, MLB teams now. There's obviously conversations between whatever anal- analytical department you have. You talk at the front office between mm-hmm. before a series, probably maybe before a week. But guys, 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 you look guys, at the numbers. guys, the White and Sox then, don't have analytical staff. That's, well, what, I mean, that's what I'm saying. So it's, so it's Rick Hahn. Okay, okay, that's the point right it's there. It's Rick Hahn, and he's like, guys. <laughs> Larry Garcia has a 500 OPS. Probably don't bet him lead off. Guys, Larry Garcia has a 500 OPS. Don't bet him third. I also think that... (laughs) Don't bet him one through nine in the line. From (laughs) what Miguel Cairo, the way he... Now that he's speaking to reporters and stuff, because he is in charge now, the way he seems is he seems very much as a respect guy. And I feel like he's the type of guy, it's not weak dick. It's him having this great respect for this man that you obviously have a huge respect for. And, and yet again, I still hate there, there's, there's a lot of we don't know is being tossed out there because we don't know. But we all we keep saying here is we're not in the dugout. And then you hear from people that 
the players respect them and then they come out and talk to and there's like these double entendres coming out there's still just a whole big clusterfuck of confusion but i also just think that miguel cairo is the type of guy that he knows his role and he shuts his mouth out of respect and now mm-hmm. that that obstacle is out of the way he is able to do more and again i don't think it's I just, weak i think it's him being respectful okay. and that's and so, yeah that's that even a lot more eloquently than I was trying to okay. say. That's okay, exactly so, what I was trying to say. Yeah. Can I can I digress then? Because then that's the clubhouse. That's it's the laws of the jungle in the clubhouse. By the way, so you have to understand that if someone isn't there to be the alpha, and all of a sudden they're the alpha when the other alpha's gone, you've always been the beta. I'll just say that, and that's the problem. If Castro was just putting up and shutting up because he wanted to get along to go along. I am not a huge fan personally of get along to go along. I'd rather say, fuck you. I'm done. I'm out. If I'm not me, I'm not me. Then what did you hire me for? My job is out. So Cairo, if he had to get along, go along, you know, Hey, to each their own, it, you know, I think it's weak dick. You think it you you don't think grow it. on trees though. I mean, it's not like, yeah, I'm just going to leave the Miguel Cairo. It's Miguel Cairo. He's fine. I'm going to tell you right now, his reputation in the show is fine. And so, I can tell you this. And that's the thing is it's just, it's it. I'm not saying that again, the, the whole argument of this is, 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 I just don't, I'm just, I'm more upset that Cairo chooses now to all of a sudden have a pair of balls. Because he's in charge. The the job is completely changed. That's why he's missing Miguel Cairo. I think think the root of his problem, I think the root of your problem is that he was given from day one. He's now that's finally the thing, doing. That's the thing, though, Kevin. Where that is your description of what his job that where did where did you we hear that from White Sox? Yeah, that he right. was supposed to be the gap between Tony Larusa and the young players. That's that was what you thought Miguel Cairo was here to do, but we don't know that for sure. That's we true. don't know what Tony Larusa brought in Miguel Cairo for to That's, do. I mean, for all we, we don't know, know what Tony Larusa. They brought him in and told him to shut the fuck up for two years and then yeah, learn like, under Tony. And then like Kevin, I get it, but like we're going to be that kind of job, dude. Like you're shut That's up your assumption here. of what you think he should be doing or should have uh, been doing. And you're wasting two years of your life to buck basically like eat shit. Nah, that's just that's weak. Right. Because because no other coach has ever done that in any profession. <laughs> not, <laughs> not, not when they didn't get to be themselves. Are you serious, no. Kevin? No come other on. coach has ever just shut their okay. no. mouth and be like, right, come on, dude. No, you're right. Weak dick coaches have done that. Are you his- serious? The weak oh oh I would oh. oh my god. There's no way, Kevin. Okay. There's no way. I bet. I bet you Tony Larusa himself, when he was fucking coming up, fucking shut his ass up before he got to be the fucking cock of the walk. I guess we can find out and ask somebody. I guess because the only per- the only experience I know is the people that I know, and the people that I know said, "I if I can't be me, I'll just go to a different place and do the same thing until they accept me." That's called Ryan Christensen going to the Padres. It's called. I mean. I, that, I, that's just anecdotal. Not, that's just yeah. that's your own personal experience. Just because what do you, you have? Well, you I, believe I something know, or know. no other experiences doesn't mean that that's everyone or yeah, that's how just, everyone okay, should fine. be. So Aldo, you can take a job that says you go, you do this job for two years and you basically don't get to be yourself. You don't get to coach the way that you coach. You don't get to do pretty much anything, and you don't and and you shut your mouth. By the way, the minute you open your mouth, you're done. You're out. Bye. And you have two years where you have to basically be berated and told your opinion is shit. You're going to sit there and wear that for two years? 
I don't think that's the case, though. I think it's like, hey, I got a chance to learn from one of the greatest minds in baseball history with Tony Larusa on a team that's contending and be a coach. Yeah, I'm going to do whatever the like whatever he wants me to do. I'm sitting here. You guys are missing this. Is Miguel Cairo has been doing what he's doing currently all along, other than the public interviews. He has not been the focus of the dugout, so you don't know he hasn't been doing this the whole time. People are giving him credit for doing what he's been doing as his job not the whole people, time. Though, the players are giving him credit for it. It's not no, just like schmucks like me and you giving him credit. It's like Josh Harrison's coming out and saying it. Liam Hendricks is coming out and saying it. It's players giving him credit. But, but you, Okay, so you have two guys that have given him credit, and then you have Jose Abreu that's been giving Tony LaRusso credit, and you have the again the people pretty that quiet have. recently i mean they all want him to come back but you know but, again look i'll tell you this and again this is again i i i, I just I'm, i feel like this is coming across like you think i'm trying to like shit on like miguel cairo i'm telling you that you guys just missed it he's been doing no, this the whole time i don't hear I mean, it a weak dick a no, bitch no i am saying that if he took this job and was told that he couldn't be himself right and i, and I get he, that I don't take this as you in himself this whole time. I'm not hearing this as you like ripping on Cairo, but Kevin, I mean, you kind of have an MO across in this week, Dick. Yes. It's like 20 episodes. I mean, I get it, dude. Tony's your dude. No, he's not my dude, though. God. Oh, you're constantly defending him on that. No. God. You do have to understand that I hate Tony LaRusso like I hate the Mets. No, and I get that. I think, but. Okay. So I don't know you're misunderstanding you, me. I'm talking about the dynamic of somebody that's in charge versus somebody that's not in charge. And you guys think that I'm like, I'm a fan of Tony LaRusso. No, but he's been given that and he's earned that. And this is what happens when someone has that. But it doesn't matter these days because people that are usually like, you know, I'm not so I'm not an, I'm not an electrician. I've not gone to electrician school, I, but I would watch the YouTube video and think that I'm a fucking electrician. no. And the same thing, there's cognitive dissonance, Dunning-Kruger going on today where people think, I watched enough baseball to think that I know more than the people that are actually doing what they do. And you have to understand when Tony LaRusso says, this is why I'm po- the point is this, with Cairo, is he's been doing this all along. He has been doing his job. And he was told when he came in, I'm sure of it, that this is your job to bridge this because he's old, you're not. That, again, don't throw out the speak Spanish bullshit that Rosenthal tried to throw in there too. Bullshit. Because we know that, that that's all that hanging through. Yeah. Um, but the fact that. is that, that Cairo, if Cairo took this job and was told, shut your mouth, bitch, for two years, I think that... It doesn't have to be in such extremes, though, man. Well, <laughs> that it doesn't have to be in such extremes. That's fine. I'm just, it could have I mean, just been know, like, hey, man, I'm running a show here. I don't want you making these speeches. Like that could have been it. like the, 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 By the way, Kevin, I agree with you. I think I think the credits for Miguel Cairo has been overblown. <laughs> it's, I, because it, what happens it, when the season ends and he's been the head coach and they're like they're six games under 500 because they faded down the stretch? I, mean, that's the thing. Really I, I, I was telling I was telling Zoe and Mitch if they lose on Thursday against Cleveland, they're in the same exact position they were when Tony Larusa went out. So he like, went out with a five-game losing streak. Like a five-game losing streak into his heart problem, whatever the hell it was. Again, I still think he should stay the fuck away. I want to know what happens with Miguel Cairo. I'm good with that. That's I'm I, not arguing it, this. I, I just I think, yeah, I'm not saying he should be the manager next year. I, I think you know it's kind of one of those situations like the Raiders last year. You get your interim head coach, he gives you a kick in the pants, and then you find your long-term guy. It's the same thing here. He, no one thinks he's no one in their right mind should think he's the long-term solution, but I think it's pretty evident. When he took the helm, 
whatever he said, it lit a fire under their ass, and you know, it's got them to where they are, where they're in a position, and having Tony LaRusa back would just be a distraction and like muck things up do, at this do, point. Do you know the record though from the day that what is the record from the day that Cairo became the manager, and what is the record from the day that Elvis Andrews entered the locker room? I'd like to know that. Somebody pull those up. Do we have any 10 and four with, uh, that would be a great stat to know. I'd like to know. The thing that sucks though, is that Tony would probably play Luriat short. Um, (laughs) So fact, that is a fact. I mean, it is what it is. I think when it comes to this, Tony and Cairo and actually this whole staff, the white Sox tried something. Jerry got his old buddy back in. They tried it and they failed. Yep. Yep, that's true. And you know what? And Ken Rosenthal won because we're sitting here giving him free press. It's and- a, I'm, he doesn't need it from our six viewers. But <laughs> it's just, I mean, it is what it is. Meanwhile, the Cubs just completed. This a was a good throwback, the by the way. Yeah, the Cubs just finished the sweep over the Mets. Uh, the other things, though, that I did want to mention were the Cubs were linked to Trey Turner and old friend Carlos Rodon. Wait, wait, wait. We didn't do our, our optimism. Oh, yes. We have to do confidence level for White oh, Sox winning the level. division. You can't miss that because it'll get lost. Where was I at six something last week? I think you went went back up to yeah at six. I think I, think I went back up one. to five. I'm going back down. I'm going back for the only reason I think for the first time this year because I think Cleveland just might be okay to good. So this has nothing to do with the White Sox. I think it's just the deficit yeah, and Cleveland no just keeps winning. Zo talked about this a couple of podcasts ago, but like Cleveland's no pushover. Like there's legit reason to be concerned about them. It's not like they're bad. It's just we should be yeah. better than them on paper. But it's not like they're a bunch of scrubs and like they, they got some talent there. Quan's going to probably be rookie of the year. Ramirez yeah. is an MVP caliber player. They got a lights out closer. Like there's a lot of in an excellent manager. They got the best manager in that division right now. God, why did, how did he? I'm back to a 3.75 out of 10. I, what was my uh, last time? Was it a six? Was I a six or a seven? I feel like I was. I think you went back up to like a seven, Kevin, because yeah, you were well, at a six before. I'm down to a fucking one with the leaks in the clubhouse. So, oof. Yeah, I, I don't think that I matters. Think I got a. Uh, I'm on the not happening scale. I'm at like a five two, but and there's no way Quan wins rookie of the year. But I think that I'm, I'm actually no, at a he's, he's, he's gonna be up, he's gonna be in the running. He'll be he'll, oh, yeah, he'll get votes. He'll get votes. But that's my boy Julio's to lose. Julio's is gonna win. Yeah, yeah. that that is another fair. another home run and sold in base tonight. Guys, loss of game one. Julio's, loss of game one to the Guardians is a zero. By the way, it goes to a zero. Yeah, if they lose on Thursday, yeah. I'm at like a one. Yeah. But as of, we record this on Wednesday night, I'm at like a five point two. Well, that's good. Huge game though. I mean, you got you, you basically because I think you, you you're right though. Lance, Lance comes Lance comes out and fucking deals, and they win this game, and then the White Sox go on a fucking tear, and it could easily go the other way for Cleveland. I mean, yeah. it's yeah. not mm-hmm. it's not I, that far fetched. I'm I at a five. We're putting my pants. faith in Lance and those big old pants of his, and yeah, that's, that's <laughs> what we're going with. Yeah. I thought I, mean, I thought Cleveland peaked though. I feel t- I feel like an idiot. I thought they, they still could have though, man. I mean, it was a six game win streak. With 20 games left, they could easily fire off an eight-game losing streak right now. True. I really Side thought note, they were done, with Lance Lynn, it's kind of weird. <laughs> like today, gorgeous, like 75-degree day. Lance Lynn wears a hoodie up the entire time, long pants and hoodie. I would feel like he's sweating his balls off in that thing. Every time you see him in the dugout, his hoodie. Those oh, dudes, those dudes, I hate them because Mitch. they come smelling like ball sweat. Mitch. That those dudes are fucking nuts. Mitch. It's very, very easy. The man's got ice in his veins. 
right. <laughs> oh. So to the Cubs again, like I said, the Cubs just swept Except for against match. Houston. Ooh, God, there it was. There it was. There it was. Uh, that, that was a bad day. Bad hot talk that day. I love it. Uh, <laughs> Cubs swept Houston. I'm actually trying to talk about the fucking Cubs for once, and you two can't shut the fuck up. Let's talk about Carlos Rodon coming back to Chicago. Carlos yeah. Rodon yeah. and – I, was I, told you, I told you, I told you, Turner. I told you it was going to be Trey Turner. Oh, yeah. I think we, yeah. Yeah. Like you thought it was on the same page there. But you knew it was going to be Cap that was going to say it. So there was a couple. Of, I didn't even see Cap say it. I saw it from that's Cap's the one that, that today's yeah, breakout was Cap. That's uh, what I, that's what I can't, but that's the thing. He the didn't have to say, Correa he had last to say year. Uh, news last year. Yeah. And Correa, though, too. Correa was. And I, Correa think, was I don't think Correa's coming. I can tell. Oh, no. I see the Cubs. coming. Landon Carlos Rodon. I could definitely Trade? see Carlos yeah. Rodon. That makes sense. They were interested in um the year the Sox picked him up on like they picked him back up off the scrap. Right team. at the very they were teams that tried him out. Yep. So there's definitely some interest there. Yep. And then, Carlos Rodon. Dude, could you imagine if the Cubs added Otani, Carlos Rodon, and Trey Turner in the offseason? I no. was like actually wanted to. They might be able to contend with St. Louis. But, <laughs> but apparently <laughs> you fucked it up when you booed fucking Ricketts and hurt his ego about his stupid TV channel. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> you know, if they play the games, are gonna be like pay per view. Watch. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure he can, uh, Mitch, can wipe away that. his tears with uh, all the money he's making. But could you? Oh yeah. Have I mean, you guys? The Cubs make those three moves this offseason every game. Otani's pitching tonight. Over sold out. Pay per view. Yep. <laughs> By the way, uh, now we haven't had him on the show in a bit, but he came on the show before. Justin Roman, you guys remember? Big, uh, big Cub fan. Him and his fiance, uh, Kenzie, they're on the Marquee Sport Net, Marquee Sports Network now. They have their own show, by the way. It's called the MVP Game, which they're doing like they they do like Cubs trivia with yeah. couples. It's like the is, wedding game with Cubs trivia. Yeah, that's, I mean, but good for good for him. Yeah, I was like, you know, it's again that pin was an Ivy bump. All of a sudden, you come on our show, you get your own sh- show. So what, like, what, what, when you hear trade? Oh, well, out of those, like the four free agent shortstops. Like what? What do you guys think of Trey Turner? I think he'd make a great third baseman. I think he second base, third or second baseman. Yeah. Well, that's the thing though with Trey oh, Turner. Out of all those other shortstops that we mentioned oh. in the free agent oh. market, he's probably the most versatile. Yeah, he can, where you can play move him field. to a, he can, yeah, he can play in the outfield, oh, yeah. he can play second base, he can play shortstop. I mean, shit, you can add Correa and Trey Turner. You know what I Go mean? Out, just, I pull the Texas Rangers, yeah, dude. And <laughs> Fuck fucking, it. I mean, that's wild though to think. That there's a possibility where they can add Carlos Rodon and Otani to that second. Well, I, I wanted to ask you this too because I mean, I was obviously talking That's about like the White Sox. We talked shit. about it all winter long uh, when there wasn't a lockout. But so has your opinion changed on Rodon long term, health wise? He's had a solid. He put together a solid season. Now I know this is coming up a lot right now in the Judge versus Otani MVP race, but I know it doesn't change like the strain he's putting on his arm, but it's something about him pitching meaningless games the last like month or so. You know, I don't know. I guess that's really not relevant here. I mean, his arm still throws as hard as his arm throw. It's just, but I'd be worried if it was like a younger guy, like guys who aren't used to the work. Yeah. I mean, he put together a good season. Uh, Did they catch lightning in a bottle with this one season? Like, is his arm going to fall off the first month of the year next year? He's always going to have that, like, that Charlie lingering Brown cloud yeah. over his head, like when you talk about Carl Sordan. Like it's been two years in a row, though. 
I, I mean, know that he he ran out of gas in October in 2021. Yes. It was before October. It was before the end of the year. He missed a lot of September yep. because he could have been in theory a Cy Young candidate, but he didn't even have enough innings to qualify for the yeah. ERA thing because he was either five innings. Ah, oh, crap! Here's two weeks off. Another five yeah. innings. Two weeks off. All right, yeah, he was he was every other start for like the last true. two but, months of the season. Like, because I was I'm yeah. obviously excited when. Again, the Cubs. There's a there's an easy path for the Cubs to be competitive as soon as next year. They just oh, have yeah. to spend fucking money. Which I love to see them being linked if. to all these names. <laughs> great, but I, to, but I do have to say the Carlos Rodon one. As much as that, the, the dude's like a the ultimate competitor, fucking bulldog on the mountain. You love to have him. Just yep. you love to cheer for that guy when he's on your team because yep. you like really get that sense that he like fucking cares as much as you do. Can concur. However, that the whole however lingering questions about can he stay healthy does sneak back into that conversation. Is this the guy you're gonna pay a hundred million dollars to? And Ryan in the in the chat makes a really good length of the contract. The length of the contract, Aldo, is what you just made. This is a really good point though by that he wants. Our friend Ryan in the chat. I put a lot of faith in the San Francisco training staff and their ability to keep all those old guys going so long. Which, yes, it could have actually been a huge boost for Carlos to just get the fuck away from the White Sox training. Yeah, staff. we know. Yeah, we know. They're, they're fucking cheeks. I've never seen uh, so many soft tissue injuries in my entire life. KB used that, that San Francisco training routine this offseason. It didn't really work. Stretching really? burns too much energy. Just get Wait. out there and hope for the best. Well, did they stretch before they stormed the Roll ball? Roll the ball out, no. play, bitches. Um, <laughs> but that's, I mean, <laughs> who knows? Softball right there. Let's go. The effects of what San Francisco's train staff has done for Rodon could definitely be to the Cubs' benefit if they're able to get him on a pretty solid deal. I'm just saying. like, like I, For I sure. If it's, avail- if it's available for the Cubs, they need to take. They need to it's move. Good arm. Yeah. Even though every time he goes to the mound, you're going to be in the back of your mind going, is this the start of his arm falls Every off? time but, he twitches, every yes. time he so means, his eyebrow does like a little weird, oh shit, shit, was that his cuff? But oh, that's God. where we're at with Luis Robert right now. Like Luis Robert like makes his noise. I'm just like, oh Jesus. No, I feel <laughs> better with Aloy. Magical, same way. But Well, magical, uh, you only got to worry about getting hurt if he goes on a, like a 10-game hot streak. Because then he's yeah. definitely going to get hurt. He's like yeah. George Costanza. He wants to yes. exit on a high note. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, all right. You guys are happy with me. I'm going to take a couple weeks off. All oh, right. Boy. So we're coming up to the hour and a half mark. It's time. So it is time. But part of this, though, we need, before you get into NASCAR Minute, yeah. this is like a bonus session. Owen. You got it. Oh. Explain. Yep. Casino. All right. Much. Um, who is this? And hold on, I got, we got we have music for this. We got no, no, no. Hold on, we're not NASCAR minute yet. We're not NASCAR minute. Yeah, yet. Not music. I'm just thinking like. So this is Dale Jarrett here to the right, three-time Daytona 500 winner, and he's a current analyst for NBC. So I was uh, I was in Kansas uh, this weekend. Uh, for the playoff race, doing some Big J journalism for Pinwheels and Ivy. Um, and, you know, after the... Uh, <laughs> um, after the race or whatever, uh, we're going around. I'm walking around the casino. I went with my girlfriend. Most people go on like romantic dates. I take her to Kansas to watch NASCAR <laughs> with me and then go be a degenerate in the casino afterwards. Don't so, have a problem with well that. Done. Yeah, well yeah. done. So, um, you know, we're sitting at one of the slot machines or whatever, and, and some guy came up to me and he's like, Hey, like, are you a NASCAR fan? I'm like, Oh, yeah, what gave it away? The big 99 hat I, I was wearing. Like, <laughs> and he's like, Yeah, he's like, hey, Dale Jarrett, like the, the NBC commentator. He's like over there in like high stakes. I'm like, Oh, shit. 
that's a three-time Daytona 500. You know, if it was a one-time Daytona 500 champ, probably wouldn't bother him. I mean, Michael McDowell won a Daytona 500. They, you know, it's kind of random. Michael McDonald. But three, I'm like, all right, you know what? I may have to go try and talk to him. So we went up there, and I was, like, looking, and I, you could see him, like, doing it, and he looked very frustrated. I could tell he lost a couple hundred bucks. So I was like, all right, you know what? We're going to uh, we're gonna hold off a little bit. Um, and, you know, I, I did want to talk to him. So I'm like, oh, we got to get some liquid courage. I mean, he was, like, at a bar, you know, basically. So I'm, like, trying to get some, like, liquid courage to come up and talk to him. So finally, he's done uh, at, at the slot machine. And was, he's probably calling his financial advisor because he didn't look too happy, and he probably lost <laughs> a bunch of money, and he's on the phone. And after he got done, some other guy okay. in a, a Kyle Larson shirt like came up to him and like shook his hand. He's like, "Hey, like, man, I'm a big fan." I'm like, "Okay, like, this is my chance." One mouth breather just came up to him, so like, here comes another one. And I, so I come up, I come up and say like, "Oh, like, hey, or whatever." Got the photo and whatnot, and I think I, it, he he was really nice uh, too. You know, gracious with his time and everything. And uh, I think a bunch of other like the NASCAR fans there saw me because the casino's right off turn two. Like as you leave like the track, it's like right there. So there's a bunch of us uh, NASCAR fans there. And like, I think a bunch of other people saw me come up to him and it just started this like chain of like, all of a sudden you look back at his life and you could tell he was kind of like, God damn it. You blew my cover. So, you know, we (laughs) sped out of there pretty quick. (laughs) How'd you do in the casino? I did poorly. My girlfriend did really well. I, I, you know, I, what'd you play? Did you play Buffalo? No, I just do. I, I, I don't even know. I just go. There's some um, Godfather slot machine. I'm like, oh, I like the Godfather, and quickly lost twenty bucks there. And I'm like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> but holy cow. all right, so I'm gonna start using that holy cow clip to interrupt arguments. All right, now let's get into the real stuff. Uh, oh, I thought you left. I was like, "Damn, dude!" All no, right. no, no. change the background. Get ready for the NASCAR minute there. All right, let it go. The NASCAR pre-show show. Let it rip, Mitch. That's right. All right, so week two was in Kansas this week, uh, and quite the race. Uh, Ross Chastain, the, the Ross Chastain does not give oh, a fuck tour. Uh, it continued in Kansas because early in the race, he's battling with Bubba Wallace for some position. They're going two ride corner exit off of turn four. He just decides, hey, you know what? I'm sick of running with them. So he starts running him up the wall. Well, who happened to be up the wall? Kevin Harvick. So they cut off his nose. And it wasn't really Bubba's fault, but because Bubba got forced up the track, cut off Kevin Harvick's nose. Harvick had to make an evasive maneuver. Whoa, whoa. They're cutting off people's noses in this bitch? Yes, they are. This guy definitely cuts people's noses <laughs> off. Yeah. Uh, so he runs him up the wall. Kevin Harvick hits the wall. His car kind of destroyed. And if you remember last week, Kevin Harvick, uh, who we talked about in the show, the intimidating guy, his car burst into flames. So he didn't finish last week's race. His car's destroyed. He didn't finish this week's race either. He's basically fucked for the playoffs as far as it's concerned. He needs to eat. Yeah, hey, there's Ross Chastain. He's in the chat. Um, it's Ross. But, yeah, Ross, you know, he just keeps driving because he's like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm sick of running three wide. Uh, Kevin Harvick, he is out of the race. Uh, later in that first stage, Denny Hamlin, uh, he got slapped with a penalty for equipment interference, so he gets sent to the back of the field. That'll come into play later. So Tyler Reddick, he's leading the race. Uh, we talked about him a couple times. He has the guaranteed rate car this week, the number eight guaranteed rate car. So I'm like, hey, you know what? Kind of White Sox related. Wait, let's have him run up front. Um, he's running well. His right rear tire blows up. He hits the wall wobbles he's trying to get to his pit stall he kind of looks like a drunk guy coming out of section 108 trying to find the urinal he's like wobbling around completely misses the pit stall his tire's bad so he has to like turn it around and like do a mini burnout he's facing the wrong way it was a shit show he gets pushed to the garage 
he's out too. So that was kind of kind of bad for his playoff chances now too. He needs to have a good one run next week. Stage two, surprise car running up front. It's Ricky Stenhouse Jr. and the number 47, Sonny D car, one of my favorite cars on the track. And now he's up front. He's getting TV time. I'm like, all right, let's go, Ricky. I love Sonny D. Like, you know, what's not to like? But uh, Ricky Spinhouse, as they call him, he runs into the wall. Of oh. course, we can't have nice things. Debris all over the track. Kyle Busch runs over the debris. And so he needs to go into pit. He's like, hey, I got debris in here. We got to clean this thing up. As he's pitting, he gets a penalty for pit interference too. Someone threw a tire into the wrong stall, rolled away. And so, uh, Damn. yeah. Jeez. So they're rolling. So the right rear tire changer, like they have to roll the tire back to the guy like over the wall and they'll catch it and pick it up. Hey, there's the Sunny D car too. See, we got all the visuals here today if you're watching on YouTube. Watch the show live, people, if you're listening to this after the fact. Very um, much. But anyway, yeah, so he gets a penalty for that. So now he has to go into the back of the field. But Kyle Busch, he has a pretty fast car. So he starts picking people off. He's he's driving pissed now. He sees a guy who'll pass him, makes another move. He's working his way up the field. It's like Lightning McQueen in that opening scene of cars where he's just kind of like shifting and moving. That's what Kyle Busch looks like. Man nice on a mission. Yeah, here we go. I'm trying to dumb it down for it. Uh, so he's working his way close to the top 10 after being all the way in the back. And then he makes an uncharacteristic Kyle Busch mistake. He kind of misses a turn. He goes flying into the grass. Debris, more debris gets on his car. Then he has to start in the back of the field again to clean off the car. His day is basically over, which is a shame because he was statistically the fastest car on the track. If you're looking at his lap times. Uh, so what are you going to do? Stage two. Now, these things are getting interesting. Gloves are coming off. Cars are getting a little feisty there on the track. It's a restart. They're going three wide. They're going four wide. The 43 car hits the seven car, slams in the wall. He T-bones the 21 car. Right side of Corey LaJoy's number seven car, it's junk. They were both kind of scrubs anyway, so it didn't really affect the race that much, but it was kind of a cool crash to see. Yeah, there's Joey Logano. Uh, he had nothing to do with that crash or this wreck, or really this race in general. He just kind of, he was out there. He was running, I guess, you know. Yeah, um, he didn't do bad. He didn't do good. It's just it's just kind of how it is. So final <laughs> stage, Bubba Wallace. He has a good pit stop. Uh, so now he's up front. He'd been running pretty good all day. Uh, the pit stop put him in good position. He gets a great restart. So now he, he, here he comes. Bubba's ready. Kyle Larson, who is up in front of him in second. He turns a little high. He gets run up the track, misses the turn. Bubba capitalizes, zooms past him. Now all he has to do is run down Alex Bowman in the 48 car. He does that. Now he's basically off to a Sunday drive. You know, he's just kind of sitting there, cruising, picking up the laps. Now his boss, Denny Hamlin, who had the penalty earlier, who had to go into the back, remember earlier in this uh, segment, he had a, the next fastest car after Kyle Busch. He probably would have caught up to Bubba had he had not had that penalty. But because of the penalty, he had to start so far back, was out by two seconds, couldn't run down his employee. Bubba Wallace wins, becomes the winningest black driver in NASCAR history, historic day. And I was very happy for Bubba because his first win was in Talladega. And it was after a rain delay. They didn't pick up the race, so they didn't even run all the laps. So everyone was like, oh, well, that win doesn't count. It's a Mickey Mouse win. It was rigged. NASCAR just did it for it. So Bubba went out there. He kicked some ass. He showed everyone he is a good driver. And I was quite happy for him. I was also happy end of the race, too, because Bubba was kind of running away with it near the end. My guy, Daniel Suarez, he needed to get in the top 10 for playoff points. The guy ahead of him was Chase Elliott. He ran that son of a bitch down on the last three laps past Chase Elliott. Very happy day for me. Chase Elliott gets – or Daniel Suarez gets the top 10. Bubba Wallace wins. Overall, good day on the track. Um, oh. You stay here, God damn it. That's an order. I got a bunch of <laughs> BJ McLeod, keep him up on the screen. Last week, I don't know if you remember, <gasps> I promised you five fun BJ McLeod facts. Yes, you did. Yes. Yeah. 
So I usually at these sporting events, I try and get like a program because they don't do ticket stubs anymore. So like I used to collect ticket stubs. So now I just try and collect programs. So you're going through the program. And they have like all the drivers and they have like interesting facts about them. So I'm like, all right, I'll just use a couple from here. So an example is like Joey Logano. They had interesting facts like him, like 2018 Cup Series champion, 2015 Daytona 500 winner, 2009 Rookie of the Year. So, you know, like pretty standard stuff. BJ McLeod, this is what they had for him. Born on November 17, 1983. Uh, first Cup Series start at New Hampshire in 2015. Those are the only two things they had about our boy That's BJ awesome. McLeod. Right? That's fantastic. <laughs> so, I still, your homework assignment, Mitch, is to find out how that man got money. So, yeah, I'll do a little bit more digging. Here's the facts I got for you now. Next week, I'll find out exactly how he got all this money. But these are like semi-interesting because there's not a whole lot yeah, of information. Uh, uh, probably one of those uh, multi-level marketing schemes. Yes. Well, he began he began racing ATVs at the age of three. That makes sense. That's how he got to start. That he began sense. running go-karts at the age of five. So he'd been racing all of his life. And by the age of 26, he had won 200 races and 22 championships in different like short track divisions. So he's just hopping around the countries, uh, countries like winning races. So eventually he worked his way up to um, Xfinity Series, which is kind of like the AAA for NASCAR's first Xfinity start. He gets in a wreck, does not finish the race. Um, and his average finish this season is 28th. So there you go. There's your contacts for the week. Using Bubba Wallace's icon i have to tell you this that these kids like the people that actually become nascar drivers are like driving heavy machinery operating heavy machinery at like age four they're they're rolling these things out they're 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 riding on grass driving courses too in the middle of nowhere on these circuits like it's awesome like actually mitch i blame you i started researching (laughs) i started saying holy shit it's a lifetime again through my bubba wallace icon but holy hell. <clears throat> and holy cow. There it is. And that's the NASCAR. There it was. All right. Well, I have nothing else. Do you guys got anything else before we wrap it up? I'm just about under, out of breath after yep. all that NASCAR talk and wasting everyone's precious time here. With no, I, I, so, I've, I've definitely, I have definitely found myself paying more attention to NASCAR now since we started <laughs> doing the NASCAR match. Like, but before Mitch, the show started, not, I knew Bubba Wallace won the race. But Mitch, can you not can you not see the uh, the the top of the screen that talks about like how many people join during the NASCAR minute, like how many viewers we have? Triple. I it's cannot like, see. It's, it's like it's like a massive jump. Like all of a sudden, it's like it's like, three like, <laughs> when, I, when I say anything at all about the White Sox, it goes like really down to like two, like like now, and then it goes back up. NASCAR minute hundred. Uh, all right. Wait, wait, Mitch. When's the last race for the playoffs for the NASCAR playoffs? Yeah, it is November sixth, I believe, or late. It's either late October or first week of November. Just the championship. Okay, okay. World Series. We have a Vegas time. race. We have a Vegas race coming, don't we? we? Do. That's a huge race too. That's gonna be a round of eight in Vegas. Free- Go to it, Kevin. Go to it. Free tickets. Should I use them then? I was. You got free Should tickets. I... Oh yeah, always. Oh, it's Ten wheels race at Vegas, on. baby. Give it to Mitch, me. Tony Logano and BJ McLeod. Get on a fucking plane, Mitch. You're young, dude. And on Saturday, we know the Silverton car. Just saying. Oh, that's oh. 
I, that's the, my last experience was in the pit. You should definitely go to the Vegas one. That's going to be a huge rate. I recommend. Is it really like that? That's it's that big, huh? That's yeah. It's, that's kind of when they get down to the nitty gritty. That's where you separate the men from the boys. There, the Chase Briscoes of the world and the Austin Dillons have been eliminated. Now it's, it's the heavy hitters. They send free passes out to teachers every year too, like where you get like eight free passes and like teachers like use it and then they sell them on Craigslist. It's great. It's a racket. It's actually a teacher racket. They canceled. Is that now. like uh, the book it thing where you get Pizza Hut things if you read a book? Yeah, 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 yeah. Except you go to NASCAR. Same difference. Yeah. All right. So for Mitch, That's how Fitz, BJ got his money. Yep. That, <laughs> now it makes. There we go. Sense. So for Mitch Fitz, although I'm so, uh, hopefully it's a happier show next week. Uh, it will be. Go get them, Lance. Angers Take care of each other. We'll see you next week. Free build of the favorites. We here for the latest. Yeah. South side or the north side. Not tuned to the greatest. Home team for the home teams. Both sides got our own rings. On the mound or the long ball. But we don't put the wrong strings. Yeah. That time of the year now, Wrigley or Gantee, so the whole league that we hear now. New show with a new mood, discussions and interviews, straight rumors that might be. This is Pinwheels and Knife. Yeah, this is what you waiting for. Yeah, you can put it on a boy. Yeah, every season they get all changed. Take me out to the bar game. This is what you waiting for. Yeah, you can put it on a Season make it all change. Season make it all change. Out to the ball game. Out to the ball game.